83 of Red Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbuehl, and today my special guest is in the Money Media's very own Matt McVolge. Me and Matt go over three races from this past Saturday at Aqueduct. Those races were four, eight, and nine. And some angles that we cover are how sometimes being the most consistent horse in a race can help you win a grade three. And when trying to find a winner in a triple crown prep, sometimes looking for an in and out fire pattern can tell you when a horse is going to fire and when the horse is going to run up the track. This is Redboard Rewind. It's the same old story in this cycle. We go back and forth. We go back and forth. It ain't good for me. Why we do this for? We go back and forth. Won't do this no more. Always have it And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest for this week's edition of Redboard Rewind, someone I've had on plenty of times in the past. It's in the money's very own, Matt Vagvolgi. Matt, how are you? I'm doing well, Spencer. How about yourself? Hanging in there, obviously getting started with um, the Triple Crown prep and all this kind of stuff and starting to really zero in on some horses. We obviously are going to talk about a prep today, but this year, it always seems to me everyone makes such, you know, they're trying to get in these future pools so early. And I always seem to notice that the horses that we've liked the last couple of years early have not really come to fruition come Derby day. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I kind of, I, I like to wait honestly until, till the day comes <laughs> to really start to make, make my decisions. You start to try to plan out early and, you know, listen, if you like something or, or I would say the best, the best scenario is if you see a horse, that has a shot to get in and doesn't win a race, but runs well enough that you feel has some upside and, and can still get a, 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 you know, an overwhelming price in, in the future pools, I'd say go for it. But, you know, most of the future bets in general are just not good bets. You know, they're designed for tourists. That's kind of where they've uh, come about. And, um, you know, I, I just, I don't really play much in the future pool. And, and when it comes to the Derby, I, I try to wait till, uh, try to wait till game day to make my decisions. Uh, obviously we're going to, we're going to be talking about aqueduct today. Uh, wet track that day on Saturday. What are kind of your quick tips or thoughts going into wet track days? Um, I mean, I, I think it, it helps to watch, you know, like for instance, let's say you're playing the pick six. I think it's really important to watch the first few races, right? So you try to get an idea. I mean, again, you can't, you know, pin a bias or anything like that with a couple of races, but uh, you know, when you've got moisture in the track, you know, generally speaking, it does lend to uh, forward types at aqueduct. Um, but you know, sometimes they can get kind of that, uh, that, that thick, like peanut butter style course, you know, where if you start to you see a lot of horses tiring on the front end. So I think it's important to watch, but I generally lead, you know, lead towards, uh, or lend myself to, uh, look at horses more on, on the front end, uh, when it comes to wet track at, uh, Aqueduct. I feel like for me as well, you know, you always hear about people, Oh, look at the, look at the wet markings are, you know, four for four over a wet track. Obviously in some cases that's a plus for me, it, I want to see races where horses have ran at said track. So if I see a couple of races, you know, from Tampa on a wet, that's nowhere near what aqueduct is. It's different temperature, different climates. I at least want to see, even if I see wet tracks at Belmont, it doesn't really entice me as much as I want to see that wet track at Bel- at aqueduct. But also I- I've always tried to keep track of wet track days and at least keep, you know, a post-it note, something around my desk. If I'm following a certain track like this to where, 
Okay, let me go back and really quickly look at those track profiles for those days. Not saying it should be the same, but like you said, usually speed tends to do better on wet tracks. But every once in a while, we'll have those days where, holy crap, in the late pick four, it was three long shots. Well, why was it? Well, they all came from off the pace. And if you look at the beginning part of that card in the last couple of days of it being wet throughout that week, it was more of a closer bias. And people just automatically just think wet track, speed up front. And a lot of times it matters on the track. And sometimes it also, you know, on wet tracks, I, I tell people, if you're betting, whatever, 100 bucks a day, bet $50 that day. Because unless if you were, for some reason, the best wet track handicapper in the country and just for some reason do better on those days, you're not going to be as consistent on those days as regular dry track days. Yeah, especially if horses that uh, may not have experience on a wet track and, uh, and and like it, you know, really take to it. So, no, I, I, I agree. I don't think you would come in with any preconceived notion of, you know, the general idea, like I said before. I mean, the, the stats prove that to be overwhelm not overwhelmingly, but overall the case, um, you know, that speed is very difficult um, on, on wet tracks. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you got to watch how that track plays. And I thought Saturday at Aqueduct was a good example, you know, just – Seeing more horses make up ground from off the pace, you know, it kind of felt like you can include a lot of other horses. Um, you know, it's it's also one of those things too in in um, in race lines as well. I, you can set like a like a preset for the PP. I don't use the PPs a lot in there, mm-hmm. but for days like that, I will because you can set a template where it will automatically show you just the wet track performances of every horse uh, on the PP. So like when you bring up all of them, it'll it'll kind of gray out all the other races. And you could just get a really good idea as to all the wet tracks uh, the horses run on and what type of success they've had. Race lens over there for, for Equibase. If you haven't tried it, try it out. I always tell people, you know, for me, someone who's used Formulator for so long, I still try and use time form, even though now it's kind of mixed in with Formulator. But I also have tried to use race lens. Try to use a little bit of everything. And obviously, I know it's not like sports betting where we get a lot of info for free and yet it costs money. But on the bigger days, you know, or even on a week, if you're setting up for Derby or setting up for, you know, going, you know, into the Gotham this week, try some stuff out and see what you can find. Because a lot of times, like with race lens for me, I like to know, uh, not so much for Aqueduct, but for when Belmont pops up, you know, good turf riders compared to bad turf riders with the ROI and stuff like that. And I think it was a couple of years ago, I was on somewhat of a heater with Javier Castellano because everyone thought, I guess he was over the hill or something. And I can't remember how many... 10, 15, 20 dollar horses I hit with him on turf races when he actually had that decent Belmont Saratoga meet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's nice to set angles in there where they show up. Um you just do it once and it, it follows along as uh as the cards come up. And um no, I, I again I use a lot of different things, some some stuff that's uh, you know I create on my own. And um but I would say for like uh like for instance the NHC coming up this week, I'll use race lens quite a bit because mm-hmm. There's just so many tracks, so many things, so many different things going on. It helps to have uh, the data kind of done for you and and you know, try to lean and, and push yourself in the right directions. Let's start off with the first of these three races. Like we had said before, we're talking about Aqueduct on that muddy Saturday, this past Saturday. Let's we'll start off with race number four. It's the 200 Busher, one mile on the dirt, little short field here of six. Nothing really jumped off the page to me in this race. Obviously, looking through, you have a horse like Capella for Brad, who had two races on synthetic obviously got bet in both being a favorite quality road. though, was a 17% dirt route sire. So with the wet track happening there and a four and uh, a four twenty five wet mark, at least I could see that this one should take to a wet track. What scared me was the improvement last time out going same thing as going a mile, but had that slow pace figure, which kind of made me a little bit sour to that one. I thought asset purchase 
if I can get even money on this runner, 76 buyer last time out, had an okay wet mark at six and a half. Now it's stretching out. We know Chad's pretty much good in all these different departments. But this Philly, I thought when I looked at the pace scenario, three three by two lengths was kind of going to be what this one was going to sit this one out as well. And I thought it just set up really well for these first three that we're going to show a little bit of speed from the inside. Yeah, I wasn't uh, incredibly creative here, but I thought this race, you could look at it a couple of different ways. I think it's an interesting race to look at where on one side of it, I can see asset purchase uh, just clear this field and and go to the front and not look back and just continue to widen. Um, you know, again, it's it's pretty obvious. You look at the the lone start from from this runner, did exactly that, went to the front, opened up and just kept going. Um, so I felt like it very much could be the same. You know, any type of improvement here, I think um, just on an overall pace scale, um, I think this horse should be able to clear. But on the other side of it, too, I think like when you look at the uh, time form, uh, you know, pace scenario, it it shows uh, asset purchase on a clear lead. I feel like there was another scenario, though, where you can see um, a pace duel up front. Um, mm-hmm. I know there's some slower fractions coming from, uh, like you mentioned, with the two uh, Capella um, as well as uh, the three as well. I mean, I think it was possible to see a little bit of pressure being put on asset purchase up front. So with that said, um, I, I did use both of the Chad runners here um, just based on that alone. Um, I, I lean heavily towards asset purchase. I was not incredibly uh, thrilled with the price, but I mean, anytime you're going to get, you know, Chad and, and Clarevich together, it's just, it's what's going to happen. Right. Second time out, you know, eight, eight length winner the first time out. Um, I, I just, it's not surprising to see where the price went there, but um, yeah, I, 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 th- I thought the five uh, sheet of booty was, was just another one that could the best late pace figures by far um, has mm-hmm. really nice on my, on my scale, nice middle and late pace figure uh, for those first two runs there. Second off a layoff. If it does melt down, I think there's a, the, the lone horse I want to look at here uh, would be, would be the five. So I went with both the, the, uh, the Chad runners here. I did lean uh, a bit heavier on uh, asset purchase in uh, multi-race exotic bets. I think too, and before we get to the race, just quick questions for you. Obviously, we talk so much, you know, people get the highest buyer, that being Ziarardi for uh, Ron Falcone there, but has some slow pace figures, still is an 83. You see so many people jump on those type of horses and seeing this horse go off, you know, pretty much coast second, third choice there. It, it was interesting to me to know that asset protection, having a lower buyer still needing to improve would go under at such low odds, you know, up, under sub even money. But you also have horses, when you look at it, off-maiden special weight wins, now going into 200K stake. There were other horses in here that had a quote-unquote class edge. Whether or not you think that the buyer speed figures are all that matters, this is a race, too, where you already have the mud that gets into consideration. But a horse like you had said, which Shibuti, and uh, a horse like Capella, whether or not that was a slow pace figure last time out and the wrong surface, these horses that faced optional 50s, how much do you put into effect with that where they come out in these optional fifties and get that first or second race against winners and doesn't just have to show that gnarly buyer figure that's usually so good for these maiden special weight winners. Yeah. I mean, again, it's important, right? It, the whole, the whole puzzle I think is important to, uh, to consider, but like I said, I, I look more in this case situation based and that's why I spend so much time on, on pace and just looking at those scenarios and, and something I've been doing a lot with um, with Hong Kong racing of, of of speed mapping the race, finding where horses will settle, right? Not necessarily, you know, where they're going to mm-hmm. look to be out of the gate. 
But basically, and it's kind of an art too. It's not an exact science of particular part of any race, whether it's, you know, sprint or route, but, you know, basically when, you know, horses are settled into the position, right. They've done their work. They've, they've tried to get into position where they want to be and where do you expect them? And then I kind of handicap from there. Right. So um, I just felt that asset purchase on the front end, I think continue to, to move forward and, and, and widen. Uh, but also I felt, you know, again, yeah, on a figure standpoint, um, you know, I, I felt like, you know, asset purchase should be the one, but I just, I thought the, the, the five coming off the pace, the other mm-hmm. Chad that, uh, you know, given where I felt this horse could settle, not completely losing touch with the field, but you know, there's a lot of pace up front. I felt this horse could really be picking it up late. So, uh, so no, I, I think it's, it's important to look at all of it, but I've gotten to be more situational based where looking at how I think the race is going to set up where they settle and then you know, how they perform from there, where do I expect uh, horses to be uh, and, and, and how to perform from there, I think is, is, is important. So that's how I came up with these two runners uh, here. Like I said, leaning a little bit heavier on asset purchase, but uh, I did use the five as well. Looking at pretty much all the chads here, both of them for Matt, for me, it was asset protection. Didn't have a wager going off at sub even money. So this is a pass race for me. Let's see who gets done in the busher right now. Good break for Ziarati from in between horses right out to the front. Chenk Engine Light is going to be in the early mix up on the far outside. There is Asset Purchase, and here's Capella. Florent Giroux wants to move through at the rail, but gets shut off here. And Ziarati is in front. And Ziarati now up by a head as they come out of the shoot. Asset Purchase is going to present a challenge to the outside. Now puts a nose in front. In behind them, it's Levita Sophia, who's in between horses. This is a wide run there for Sheeta Beauty. Having to take back was Capella, just waiting for room, is now challenging for third as they slow down the tempo. At the back, it's Check Engine Light. Ziarati's got company right to the outside from Asset Purchase. They went 23.54 for that opening quarter mile as they work towards the half-mile pole. It's Ziarati in front. Asset Purchase is stalking from second. Capella wants to go as at the rail for Giroux is just looking for room. Lavita Sophia is called upon for the effort and Sheeta Beauty trying to circle rivals and is doing just that. It's Czech Engine Light and Kendra Karmush and they're launching a big run here. They're going to come three wide after the leaders. Asset Purchase is now in hand and now Asset Purchase lets it out a notch. Zirati is now under full drive is to the inside from second. Capella still looking for room. Sheeta Beauty is now in the clear. Czech Engine Light's chasing. Lavita Sophia is at the back of the field as they reach the top of the stretch. Asset Purchase is is kick clear and asset purchase is up by three four lengths now approaching the eighth pole shooter beauty is now up on the grandstand side it's coming after the leader it's asset purchase trying to put it away but shooter beauty is now looming up on the far outside and here she comes shooter beauty is drifting but she's taking command shooter beauty asset purchase she the beauty wins the busher it's shooter beauty over asset purchase capella finished third in one minute 39.03 second and Sheeta Booty gets it done. 77, the winning buyer. 1260, the winning mutual. I think in this race, like you had said, it's always nice when you can get the closer set up and when it also tends to come to fruition. Most of the times when I'm playing closers and I think it's a closing bias, some horse gets out to the lead by six and never looks back. Yeah, I think uh, like what we talked about before of, um, you know, looking, trying to find or look at races and see, get an idea as to how a track might, might play. Um, this was a great example of showing that, um, you know, no, no lead could be safe. Right. Um, I, I thought, uh, I thought asset, uh, asset purchase was, uh, was gone 
and then you start to see the stride starting to shorten up a bit and and you're just seeing the the, the pace kind of kind of come back mm-hmm. and um you know there, there was there was at one point i i, I thought uh, i thought asset purchase was gone and then um you know there's a certain part of the stretch there where i realized that it could be it could be just about anybody and then you could see hopefully thankfully the horse that, that i had uh, moving off the pace uh she got uh, got moving late and uh, got up for the win and this is something just for people who you know want to look at some more stuff post race. I think when I look overall at the odds board here, that the public, whether they got it right or wrong, they pretty much had an overall strong, strong favorite, and they had three horses that they thought were pretty much you know second or third contenders within two or three points of each other and two long shots. So if you eliminate the two long shots automatically, whether you're playing exactas or you know just playing doubles or anything like that, at least now from being down to a six horse field, now you're down to a four horse field, and Asset purchase declines the buyer three points. Uh, Sheeta Booty goes up from a 62 to a 77. Obviously, now with the way the pace was, I'm sure we might see some red pace figures in this race, and that one might have to be dropped down a little bit. And Capella's first time on, you know, a dry track, everyone will go like, oh, the horse only ran third. Yeah, but ran third in a stake race, first time dirt. Like, I think there's some decent spots where we're going to see Brad Cox put this horse where 71 in the busher could end up being, you know, second or third choice in an allowance and get somewhat of a juicy price in this runner. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, the note I have here is um, with with asset purchase, get this horse back on a dry track and it's going to mm-hmm. absolutely air, I think, in, yeah. in, in my opinion. Um, I just I just think it got deep, right? I just felt like that track uh, it got very deep and tiring uh, on the front end. So nothing against uh, nothing against asset purchase in that race. It's just you know kind of a a victim the way the track was playing a bit, and um, you know the the horse with the the best uh, best late pace figures uh, got got the job done. Last horse number three, Zierardi. This is a horse that went for has a two hundred fifty thousand dollars stud fee, only went for one hundred and fifty. Has a giant wet mark at four forty one. Big buyer off the debut. Runs off the boards. This one that you just kind of feel like it's not too soon to toss, but this is where one like, okay, just cross out the mud race. Obviously the debut wasn't as good as it seems, but this is a horse that you can't just kind of look at. Oh God, 83 buyer circle has to be a contender. This is one that you have to really take a deep, deep look on and make sure that, you know, where some of these horses that have the overwhelming buyer figure standard wins need to, you know, okay, does the pace match up? Is it the right surface? Like there has to be more that goes into this type of runner than the normal Horses that are nine to five on an odds board at Aqueduct. Yeah, I think I think all the contenders will get bet next out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's just a lot of easy, you know, kind of uh, handicapping 101 that that folks will do. You know, first time, um, you know, for for the two uh, Capella, first time on a on a dirt track, it was wet. You get on a fast track, I'll bet I'll try this. I'll bet this horse again. Same thing with uh, with with the three. You know, the muddy track. Let's try this horse back on on a on a fast track. Asset purchase again, same same type of idea, yeah. right? Just get getting this horse on a dry track. I think they'll be willing to forgive that. So, I don't think any of these horses will be downgraded much uh, off of uh, off of this race, just given the circumstances. Let's move on to race number eight, the second race of this podcast, the Grade Three Tom Fool Handicap, one of my favorite races throughout the year. Six furlongs on the dirt. I ended up with three three in here. But the number one Eastern Bay was super interesting. Had good past two races of form in these Grade Three races, you know. 12 for 28 the distance this one likes to win is nine years old but when you can see them still running so well with these high buyer figures at nine you're not really supposed to be fading them you're supposed to fade them when they're off form not on form Clip the number six nakatomi was also good for dylan wesley ward I, 
it's weird, right? You see this one win- break the maiden on a sloppy racetrack, then they go over to Ascot. Saratoga Special wasn't anything special to look at, but still hit the board. The worst race in the last, you know, couple of years for this one was, you know, you could say it was the Malibu because they didn't finish in the, on the money, but ran a new buyer top. So I definitely wanted to include that one as well. And I thought Little Vic at 6-1 to one for Juan Avila, who was off to a really good start, you know, two for three with one second. It wasn't slowly improving, but had just those nice 93-94 buyer speed figures where, okay, you kind of know this one's going to run a middle to, to low 90 at least that's what has been shown the last four or five races. If the others don't improve, or if the others dec- decrease a little bit, at least Little Vic is there that you know can be somewhat consistent. And at six to one, good enough to make my third spot on the board. And due to uh, the horse of Nakatomi going under three to one, I ended up playing Little Vic and Eastern Bay in a two-horse win Dutch. Yeah, I, I went with Little Vic as uh, as the top play, and I think key word you mentioned there was consistency. I think this horse is very consistent. Um, I think a, a quick look at the uh, at the toboggan eight and a half uh, beaten eight and a half lengths. Well, Rebel Rocks just aired, right? I mean, yeah. I, it certainly improved. So I just I see this horse running very consistent. I thought that was a big improvement um, last time out, even though um, he got buried for second. I felt this horse was going to sit a perfect trip too. Uh, again, I, I thought this horse would settle. Uh, behind um, uh, the two chateau, which I, I had as well in, in the mix, just in case this horse can step out and, and try to steal down the front end, did downgrade a bit once I saw you know how this track was was running. Um, again, not going to totally change my my opinions, but again, I adjusted a little bit there. Um, and and the other one, uh, the other one, I saw I, I, pirate pirate Rick as well. I had in there. Um, I just felt could get that stalking trip and and could finish. Um, so those are the three I went to, but I leaned, I leaned heavily on little Vic here. I just felt like was to me, I think is, is the best horse in the race can sit in a great position, you know, can either be far back, but also, you know, could, could get into the race if need be. And I think, I think little Vic needs to be in this race. And, uh, I just think it sit right off, right off the pace. And especially if, if the two and five go after it, um, I think it's going to set up very nice for, uh, for, for little Vic to get it done. So those are the three I went to there, uh, lightly on, uh, on the two chateau again, just with the idea. I love a horse. And we've talked about this before that, that can get to open air and just keeps running. I felt at a price, um, you can certainly, uh, you know, you can certainly hope for that. Um, so I did include, but, um, the top pick was the seven little Vic and I backed up with uh, Pirate Rick, the five, and the two shutdown. Let's talk about number three real quick, which neither of us did talk about, Run Son of a Gun. I just thought, if you look at this one, off of a layoff for John Toscano. John, now listen, it's only eight starts, but when you don't have any wins, it's kind of a little bit concerning. I just noticed that when you look through the running lines as well, this horse was just pretty much a bomber on the board, 41-56-15. And then these last three before the layoff, you know, three to one, back-to-back favorite, got it done one of the two times, missing by a neck, you know. It happens. Why do you think this one uh, wasn't in, wasn't going to be a play for you? It was just more of a pace scenario type thing? Or for me, it was more of the, the layoff, and I thought that a lot of the more fresher runners had a little bit of a uh, a conditioning edge on this runner. Yeah, I mean, in two part. I mean, you got to when you look at the board with a horse that's two to one. That to be honest with you, overall, I really didn't like much. Um, Again, could certainly win. There's there's no doubt about it. But when I look back at races that this horse has won, I just think it's got a perfect setup. And, and I really don't see that today. Um, and I see horses that will be positioned or projected to be positioned 
in in front of uh, running running side of a gun that uh, would be difficult to run down. So when I see that, you know, perfect setups for wins, even even run lines uh, elsewhere. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, that I should, you know, lost by a neck last out, uh, you know, one by a nose before starting to find the wire, maybe proving to get better. First off, a little bit of a of a layoff. Um, you could certainly look at it that way. I just felt that there were better prices elsewhere. And I thought uh, this horse would have to make up a little too much ground with some nice runners ahead of, of this horse. One or the seven being uh, little Vic. And also I, I like the five uh, pirate Rick just being in a, in a stalking position. So I felt it'd be tough to run those two horses down. And I just don't think you're going to get that uh, crazy uh, pace duel up front. So that's the way I thought of it. And and again, I'm happy to throw out horses like that, that are taking a lot of money. And um, you know, again, overall, not a huge fan of, and, and also too, I just think there's horses that are going to be better positioned uh, to, to, to make that stretch run uh, versus uh, versus a horse like the three uh, running side of the gun. Two horse wind for me, Eastern Bay and Little Vic. Pretty much Little Vic on top for Matt, including a little bit of Pirate Rick and a little bit of Chateau. Let's see who gets it done in the Tom Fool right now. Chateau has got early speed right out to the front, and here comes Pirate Rick, and they move quickly early. Little Vic is going to stalk from third as to the outside of running Son of a Gun, who's now in fourth. Losing ground is Eastern Bay. Gets passed up on the outside here from Nakatomi and Wendell Fong. Those two are now four off the lead, and the trailer is drafted. They're chasing Chateau, and Chateau and Jose Lescano have four furlongs left to go, and they are unopposed now on the front end. They went fast, 21-4 and four for a pumped-up opening quarter mile. Pirate Rick is stalking from second. Here comes the run from Little Vic, who's now shoved along from third. Running son of a gun is waiting for room here down towards the inside, is moving towards this leader as they start to catch up to Chateau. Nakatomi's got a wide run. Wendell Fong from the back. Eastern Bay is saving ground and drafted is five off the lead. They reach the top of the stretch. Here comes Little Vic in those yellow blinkers, and Little Vic has taken the lead. It's Little Vic in front. Running son of a gun is now in the clear, is chasing the new leader. Little Vic is trying to fend them off. Running son of a gun. Nakatomi late and drafted. It's still Little Vic for a final 16th. Little Vic is clear. Here comes a run one more time. Running son of a gun, but Little Vic is best in the Tom Fool. It's Little Vic over running son of a gun. Then a photo. Eastern Bay and Nakatomi in one minute nine points. And Little Vic does get it done. 102 the winning buyer. Nice $15 win price. Running son of a gun does run second at that two to one price. Nakatomi also running second or running third at that two to one price. Right behind each other. I feel in this race, looking at Eastern Bay ran off the board for me, but I'm surprised. I shouldn't be surprised anymore for what you said as well. Perfect setup for Run Son of a Gun in those two wins, but loves to hit the board. This seems like another one where just good enough to be the bridesmaid, not good enough to be the bride. Little Vic gets it done with those slowly improving speed figures, but then bumps up to a 102. So you get the improvement where you need it, or if you wouldn't have, Run Son of a Gun probably gets it done. Kind of a strange, weird race. Obviously, we talk about the Muddy Sealed track as well. On where to really judge, at least for me, where to judge those top two after this. Maybe Ron Son of a Gun, when they get back on the dry track, probably does have a better advantage over Little Vic. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those where I think, again, I think this, this I've said this before, I think this process is very important in, in your overall play. Is, you know, I had a horse like Ron and Son of a Gun that I was not uh, a huge fan of. I felt it was pretty easy to dismiss. Um, I think this horse didn't get it done. My horse, uh, Little Vic, uh, I, I was right and, and cashed pretty nicely here. Um, but I think I was a little bit wrong. I mean, I, I didn't, I feel like Ryan Son of a Gun uh, ran a lot better than I expected. Um, 
I, I think this horse is is a bet back next out. Uh, I obviously dependent on where where this horse shows up, but again, I think second off of a layoff for this horse with a nice run first off the bench. Um, uh, I, I thought this horse ran a lot better, so I, I would say I was right. Uh, I was right, but I was wrong in this case. Um, little Vic getting it done, but I thought uh, I thought Ryan Son of a Gun ran um, a, a much better race than, than I anticipated. We, we always hear what people say like, oh, you know, man, I, I killed that race. I had the exact of the try. But, you know, meanwhile, you know, they hit the try, but the favorite who they had really didn't like was like a last second throw in for third. And I feel I feel like that matters when you're looking at races like for me, like and like you had said, I didn't like Ryan Son of a Gun either. The fact this one ran second, you know, and everyone could say, well, the horse's favorite is supposed to run well, even no matter what you think. But I kind of have to take a step back and make a note of, you know, and even write my horse notes, you know, didn't like in this race, still ran second. Don't underestimate possibly next time. For me, it's going to matter where they put this horse running such a good race in a stake. If they go down to, you know, let's say the allowance level or they they, they have an extra allowance level of like, you know, the N3X or whatever. I'm not going to say that it's going to worry me, but I I want to see this one stay in a, in a stake race because he's been there for the last seven races. I think a drop in class tells me that this one would make it a little bit nervy for me to bet back on a horse where you know he's going to take a ton of money off a drop in class like that. Yeah, off a drop, you're not going to get any price whatsoever. Staying around a similar class level, you know, this you know, grade three slash allowance type type company. Um, I think if that's the case, I think you have a decent price. I think you'll have obviously competition will be will be you know relatively strong or should be. Um, but I think there's also a little bit of uh, can I really trust this horse? I think there's a little bit of that that comes into play. Like I would love to see this horse show up in a in a in a spot like that, get the decent price, um, and, and certainly would 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 play it there. Drop in class, it's I I think I think this horse moves up uh, incredibly just uh, pace wise. And, and I think uh, could be uh, could be a very very short favorite uh, to get it done, but uh, would love to see uh, this horse show up in a similar field because we'll probably get a price. I think the public would lean uh, lean a bit away from this horse, uh, given um, you know this, it's not a horse you can uh, you can you can rely on given given past performance in, in the PPs. What's one of the last races of the pod? The very next race, race number nine, the Grade Three Gotham. We have Kentucky Derby points on the line, one mile on the dirt. Nice full field in here. I just kind of didn't really know where to go at all. I had about four or five circled in here. My, my topic ended up being number 10, Lugan Knight for McCarthy and Dylan Davis. I just thought when, when you look at this one, there's no blue, there's no red in the time form. So one just likes to run these solid, solid races. You know, never been above 10 to 1. Had the one race where he won as a favorite under sub, even money. Off of a good racetrack at this distance. One last time out with a nice buyer figure of 85. And just looking throughout the rest of the field, I mean, we did have a horse like Slip Mahoney for Trevor and Brad that ran 87 last time out at the same distance. But, you know, now we have back-to-back buyer tops. You know, obviously, as with these short three-year-olds, you want to see improvement. But seeing a big buyer jump from 20 points to an 86 and then the small improvement, maybe this one can slide back down a little bit. I thought the other Brad Cox runner from out wide, I and Clover was also interesting. Just had that nice improvement from going from Oakland to Fairgrounds. Now comes the Aqueduct. I feel like this horse can ship really well in with the rest of them. But like I said, my top pick ended up being the 10 Lugan Knight. Yeah, this is a tough race. This is a great race. This is a great rendition of uh, of the Gotham. I thought you can go a lot of different ways. Um, you know, no matter where you went, you got a decent price. Um, I was against I and Clover. Just for the fact of how I thought, um, especially the early and middle pace um, would be in this race. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I felt that the two wins for this horse pretty easy, well within, you know, type fractions. Um, I felt it would be a very different story today. Um, so I wanted to lean a little bit against, again, if you still like your, your, your getting, I believe it was three to one. So halfway mm-hmm. decent uh, price in, uh, in, in this type of field. Um, this is a, like I said, I, I agree with this. It's a very difficult race. Um, in multis, I, I played to, I didn't play, you know, huge tickets on, on this, on this day when it came to, to pick fives and, and, and doubles. Um, but I did try to, uh, I did try to score out a bit with the 14 uh, recruiter. I, you know, I felt like, yeah, this horse would be up on the pace, but also I think has shown, especially in that last race, just a little bit of tactability. I know chased it, you know, was in a group of horses and wound up pulling away late um, on a sloppy track um, has a couple wins over, over moisture. You know, I, I felt that was a positive and I just felt also too, this horse can be a little bit more tactical as well. So I felt it could sit off the pace and, and, and try to run these horses down. So that's a horse I, I singled quite a bit, not necessarily a big, massive play on my end. Um, but I did, I did want to see if I can get live to this horse, which I did uh, to try to score out a bit here. Um, there were a couple other horses uh, that I did like you mentioned uh, the 11 uh, slip Mahoney. Um Again, ability to uh, to sit off the pace a bit. Um, I think this horse has, uh, in uh, at least in my figures, an improving late pace uh, um, scenario here. So, I thought that would come in, uh, um, you know, nicely in this race. Actually, did have the best late pace. Let me just double check. Yeah, it had the best late pace figure for me. Uh, in a race I thought could be a scramble uh, on the front end. Um, and then also uh, the, the horse I had second in terms of late pace figures was uh, was an absolute bomb, which was the sixth general banker. Um, just could have come from absolutely nowhere. I've, I figured maybe taking a flyer on this horse uh, had a score in the mud, which certainly have to step up, uh, I felt, in, in this race, especially coming out of, uh, I believe, it was, the, was the Withers. Yeah, the yep. Withers at, at Aqueduct. Um uh, again, I, I just felt like that was a, that was a horse I was going to play around a little bit. So I played around with some exactas and tries in this race. But uh, in terms of the multi-race bets, I tried to get the 14 uh, recruiter home. And I also thought the outside post would actually help this horse a bit. Um, maybe wouldn't feel the need to press and try to get the lead, can sit behind horses and try to make a run. So that's where I went in this race. But uh, like you said, this is a very competitive field and uh, it was a fun race to bet. Horses like Recruiter and General Banker and Slip Mahoney for Matt. For me, just going with a couple of those as well. But topic being Lugan Knight. Let's see who gets some Kentucky Derby points right now. And they're off. Clubhouse broke very well. Unseating the rider there was How Great Is Nate. Unseated the rider at the start. J.D. Acosta was unseated at the start of the Gotham. How Great Is Nate is at the back of the field. They get set to come out of the chute. Some drama early, but up on the outside, here's Recruiter, who's now ahead in front. Down towards the inside is Carmel Road, who's going to challenge for that early lead. Ian Clover is taken back now, is in the third position in between horses. Up on the far outside comes Radio Red. Then at the rail, Clubhouse, who broke on top, just gets passed by Lugan Knight, who now secures the fifth spot. They get really stacked up here. The loose horse is up on the outside. Transect is going to be five wide up the backstretch. Uncorrelated is in that mix. Mr. Swagger clear the air is towards the tail end of the field. Also back there with General Banker, Race Kane, and the trailer, Slip Mahoney. They've got less than a half mile to go, and they went fast, 45.53. But we do have a loose horse in front, and the loose horse is now in front of this large field here in the Gotham as they're well into the far turn. Carmel Rhodes got the lead. Recruiter is now under drive. Ein Clover is going to move to the outside. How 
How will they handle this loose horse who's in front here? Will hold that rail as they reach a quarter mile left to go. Carmel Road, they're well clear of the horse now. Carmel Road has got the lead at the top of the stretch. Up on the outside, it's Eyeing Clover who's ready to challenge. Eyeing Clover to the outside of Carmel Road, and they are lined up here on the grandstand side. Up on the far outside, General Banker, and from out of it, Ray's Kane has taken the lead. It's Ray's Kane who's come from the back of the field, has now passed them all. Ray's Kane is well clear inside the final 16th. Ray's Kane is going to draw away and win the Gotham. It's Ray's Kane over Slip Mahoney, who had a late run as well. Then a photo. Ian Clover is there with. And it is Ray's Kane at 23 to 1, 90 the winning buyer, $49 the winning mutual. I think when it comes down to it, you know, there's some races where you just, no matter how much you can uh, post race, kind of try to dig down. I see a horse winning by 12 buyer points with two bombs in there, including general banker who just, you know, does what he's been doing the last few races, clipping up for third. Uh, I don't know exactly what I want out of this race. I know everyone kind of declined on buyers. I am terrified to kind of bet any of these back. Yeah, this was, uh, this was a little bit interesting. Like you mentioned with general banker, I thought that was, uh, you know, I was, it was one of those kind of right, but really wrong. Yeah. Um, I couldn't find the winner. I mean, I go back and look at it and that, that is a process I do with, with every bet that, that I make any bet that comes out of my, you know, main bankroll part of the process is I get up, uh, you know, early the next day and then walk back through it. And and sometimes you can look at it and say, you know what, I should have given this horse a shot or I, I could really could see uh, a spot where maybe I, I followed my dad a little bit more than the, the, than the handicapping side or vice versa. And you can come up with different reasons as to why maybe you should have uh, included the horse. This is, this is a scenario where I just lost. I <laughs> you know I just, I just didn't have, I just didn't have the horse. I probably wouldn't have the horse again. If you ran the race again, um, just one of those things where you get a big field like this and uh, some crazy things can happen with these types of horses. And no, I just, I didn't have the winner. <laughs> just flat, flat out uh, didn't have it and uh, probably wouldn't if they, uh, if they ran it over again. I mean, the, the only thing with a quick look back for me that I can see would be maybe in and out pattern here where we see, you know, we start off with the 79 and the maiden special weight win. Then we drop to a 60, then we're up to an 81, then to a 70. That was obviously also on synthetic. Now we kind of get back on the right surface where we've seen 81, 79 the last two times. But I mean, still we're improving nine points off of that compared to the 20 off of the synthetic race that you see. It doesn't make it too scary, but I, I think like you had said, these are why people want fuller fields in horse racing in general and don't want six horse fields because these are the type of horses that if you're smarter than the rest of us, you will get paid out on these type of races. Yeah. Especially looking at a pattern like that. Um, that's certainly something that, that I do look for. And um, I just felt this horse would be just running against just a, a lot better in my opinion uh, than what this horse has been running against. I mean, that, that race down at, um, at, at fairgrounds was, was certainly, I would say comparable. Um, but it's just tough to tough to find. Yeah, this horse has put in some nice runs, but I felt given the competition today, given the post as well, I thought traffic would probably be an issue mm-hmm. for this horse. Uh, being a little bit, uh, I expected to be a little bit uh, more off the pace than um, than a lot of the runners who I felt had a chance. Um, so yeah, it's just one of those. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. You know, having a, a full field like this just gives you a lot of different options. And you know, again, the reason why you had a three to one favorite, which is always great, um, that you can come up with a horse like this. But uh, for me. I just couldn't find it. I felt too much of an improvement was needed. Um, and uh, I just felt there were, there were better options, uh, better options relative to the quality of the horse, better options with, with better price. Although I, I know this horse went off at what, 23 to one. Mm-hmm. Um, but just in terms of relative talent, like I thought seven to one on recruiter, I thought was a really good number. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, it just didn't work out. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't, I 
I can see your I can see your point on that on that on that patterned uh, running. You know, looking at you know past performances, looking at uh, past runs with that uh, kind of in and out um, type uh, um, type fig. But uh, I just I just couldn't get to the source. Last question before we let you go. Obviously, we have a six to one shot running second. That being Slip Mahoney, but obviously, Iron Clover off the board. We have horses like Caramel Road off the board that we don't really talk about. My Lugan Knight was off the board. These little, you know, four to nine value shots, none of them really ran that well. Uh, any thoughts on those before we let you go? Um, not really. I just, I felt there's more disappointments in this race than mm-hmm. there were, I thought, kind of uh, maybe be some uh, some dirtied up form. Or, you know, maybe not have finished well on the on the sheets, but ran a lot better. I thought it was more of the, the, the opposite. I, th- I think there's a lot of disappointments in this race. So um, it'll be interesting to see what this race is going forward um, in terms of uh, how these horses come out of it. Uh, but uh, I thought there was more negatives in this race uh, than there were positives to, uh, to take out. With that, that is all the time we have for today. I do want to thank my special guest, Matt Vike Volger for coming on talking about these three stake races from Aqueduct in the mud. Matt, what do you got going on within the money? Where can people find you on social media? To talk to you about all things horse racing. Uh, yeah, I'm at uh, uh, at Blinkers on uh, 22 on Twitter. Um, feel free to uh, to reach out. Um, made my uh, made my return to the end of money airwaves uh, over the weekend. Uh, Pete and I uh, hit a nice uh, nice coast to coast pick five on Saturday. Um, so that was a good, uh, good part of the weekend. Uh, but, uh, yeah, usually on, um, usually on in the, in the money airwaves, uh, talking horses and, uh, recapping horses with, uh, with you Spencer. So, uh, on here quite a bit. And, uh, if you're out at the NHC, uh, next week, feel free to stop by and say hello. I will be, uh, I'll be out there as well. Thank you so much for coming, my friend. I appreciate it. You got it, Spencer. Anytime. I want to thank everyone who listens to this podcast and the rest of the podcast on the In The Money Media Network. I also want to thank my special guest, Matt Vagvolgi, for coming on, talking all things Naira with me. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Peter Thomas Forentel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin, and our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl. We will see you next time.